I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou... I'm going to be focusing my reflection this morning on the last line of Jesus' parable. Set in the mouth of Abraham, the father of faith. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from their dead. We tell ourselves that we don't trust God because we don't have enough evidence. There are our unanswered prayers. There's suffering in the world. Some people think they're too sophisticated to believe what the uneducated before them used to believe. And then, of course, there is the hypocrisy of so many Christians and the sins of the Christian church throughout time. Jesus' parable today, the point of his parable, teaches is to teach that these sorts of objections are just so much rationalization. Because they are objections that are directly responded to by Scripture. I'm going to take them, taking them in reverse order. The hypocrisy of so many Christians and the sins of the Christian church. These are undoubtedly true things and real objections. And without minimizing anything that Christians past or present are doing that is out of line with the teachings of our Lord. I ask you, what is the Christian story about humanity? Is it that with enough work and enough input, maybe a little help from the Holy Spirit, we can become perfect and sinless? No. That's not the story the Bible tells about humanity. The story it tells is that even as a new creation has been born in us, and that through the power of the Holy Spirit we are becoming what we are not, even as we grow in holiness, we continue to screw up. Again and again, we continue to sin. Most Sundays as we begin to prepare our hearts for worship, we hear these words from 1 John. It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Other philosophies may want to flatter us that we can perfect ourselves. The scriptures will not let us do so. How about the objection that we're too sophisticated to believe what the uneducated before us believed? This is addressed in 1 Corinthians 1, chapters, uh, verses 22 to 25. 
Here's what St. Paul writes. He says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We are hardly the first people to think that we're smarter than those who came before us. We see this all throughout the Bible. St. Paul was dealing with it in his day. And we see it dealt with in the Old Testament, even back to the writing of the Psalms. The fool says in their heart, there is no God. That's because people were saying that. We've come so far and we believe better, we know better than our predecessors. And for us who live in the modern world, in an age when we are used to seeing new scientific and philosophical ideas replace old ones at seemingly light speed, what kind of God would only accept the best and brightest of His creation or only those with the most sophisticated worldview? The Gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is equally accessible to all in every age, in part because it confounds the expectations of all in every age. As for the suffering in the world, Romans 8 addresses this very directly. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. According to Scripture, the suffering in the world is because human action allowed sin to enter the world and through sin death to reign. The creation's suffering is our fault. And it will cease when we are resurrected in glory. This is an important point of contact with the larger world and our culture. Because if you say to people, hey, creation is suffering because of us in our ecologically aware age, that's a point that most people will say amen to, whether they be Christian, Jew, or nothing at all. <laughs> then there are unanswered prayers. And I'm approaching this one with the most sensitivity because it's the one that hits closest to home. It's the least intellectual and the most emotional of the objections. It's the one that hits us in our gut. And even knowing the answer to it doesn't diminish the pain of our loss in this life, although it gives us hope for something better. Every prayer asked of the true God needs to be asked through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. So if we ask as Jesus asks, every prayer of ours has the spoken or unspoken tagline, Thy will be done. And that's the hardest thing to end a prayer with, especially when it's a prayer for someone we love. But to ask a prayer of the true God is to ask 
a prayer trusting that he knows how best to answer it. To trust his wisdom in the granting or withholding of what we ask for. If God apparently fails to answer a prayer, we are asked to trust him. Trust him that there's a good reason why he would not choose to do so, even if it's one we can't possibly fathom in this life. It's a tough thing to do, but it's what we do the moment we give birth to our children and set them loose on the world. It's the moment we, it's the prayer we pray, the moment we leave home ourselves. We ultimately have to entrust the ones we love to God. But I think there's one final objection which reigns large in modern people's minds. And that's the objection to the character of God as judge. And that character, God being judge, is all over this parable. There's no escaping it. The idea that we might answer to a higher authority, that we might not be the higher authority, is appalling to many modern people. In his essay, Evolutionary Naturalism and the Fear of Religion, from his book, The Last Word, philosopher Thomas Nagel writes this. He writes, I speak from experience, being strongly subject to this fear, that is the fear of religion. I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. I give him credit for his honesty. <laughs> By his own admission, Nagel will say he has a cosmic authority problem. It's a modern idea to think that it's unfair for God to judge us. And I think it's largely the result of us getting most of the time what we want and when we don't, an explanation for it. But most people throughout time Seeing how imperfect human justice works, even in the best justice system, most people thought it was God's responsibility to judge us. Because if He didn't, justice would never be served in this life or the next. And it is because God must be a righteous judge that we must have a Savior. We are all in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. But it is that Savior who tells today's parable. The parable that affirms the reality of God's judgment, but also the mercy given through the one who rises from the dead, He Himself. And despite the claims of those who've had near-death experiences, and they're very powerful, I've read lots of them over the years, he alone has returned after three days dead to tell us what awaits us on the other side. He endured that journey which he should never have had to endure as God for the express purpose of giving us the best reason of all to believe in his words, to believe in him. 
See, because he has quite literally been to hell and back again, all for the sake of our salvation, we can believe in, that is, trust Jesus. We can trust his character as he has demonstrated his ultimate self-sacrificing love. We can trust him to forgive even the sins of his church when we repent. We can trust him to be sophisticated and mysterious enough to be inexhaustible to the greatest minds that have ever lived, but simple enough for a child to understand and hold on to. We can trust that the suffering in the world, great as it is, and I don't want to minimize that, including the suffering of our loved ones and the pain of our unanswered prayers, that that will be superseded by something more amazing and greater. After years of powerful, painful suffering herself, Therese of Avila wrote this. She said, In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more than serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. It's a challenging or even outrageous statement if it weren't true. But here's the last word from Romans. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That glory, the God of glory, came to live in a human body, to suffer as we suffer, to die, and finally to be raised from the dead that we might know that it's coming and have hope even in the darkest of our circumstances. To Him, Jesus the Christ, be all glory and honor and praise this day and forever. Amen. Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that Thou art. Be Thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence, my light.